Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. And welcome to episode 555 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcast. Joe and Todd here. Todd, hello. I'm doing fine, Joe. I'm ready to do this podcast for another 30 years because I don't exert myself too much during it. Right. You're not leaving your feet for any reason. Right. I bump for no man, Joe. <laughs> the, the only sacrifice you make for this show is not having your air conditioning on. Yes, that is true, and we're getting there, Joe. I'm I'm at the equation now of how heavy my air conditioner is to how miserable I am in the heat, and it's not there yet. So I will wait and wait and wait until I'm putting the air conditioning air conditioner in while I'm just drenching sweat. So because I, I never learn. Every year I never learn. I think we're mid eighties here in northeastern Pennsylvania currently. Mm-hmm like low to mid eighties. And I think by this weekend, it's supposed to touch up against the nineties. Right. But we're still in May. So the nights here are like 48, 50. So yeah. if I leave the windows open, I'm not home during the day during work. So when I come home, I just open the windows and it cools it off. So that'll change. And it'll be 90 during the day and 90 during the night. And then you'll just get the obituary in the scrant times about me dying from the heat. Cause I, I I'll have, you know, obviously I work from home. So I have the windows open and there's, People mowing the lawn and dogs barking and trains coming by and all sorts of a sundry and noise. And I'm just, I don't care. You know what I mean? It's better than turn on the air conditioning just yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what I do is for the bedroom, I keep the windows open there all the time. The door is shut. Nobody goes in that room after like eight o'clock. So by the time that I get in there for Betty by time, it's like an ice box in there. And I love it. Love it. Love it. I think I have to sleep with at least one sheet on top of me to make me feel comfortable. Yeah. I I, I like to have the sheets nearby Mm -hmm. just in case I need them, but I typically don't need them. Right. Right. So do we have any comic stuff to talk about? Yes, we do. Uh, So uh, we have, the official announcement of the end of maybe one of the most loved comics on this very show. Mm-hmm. Uh, a follow-up from last week's The Rob Watch, mm-hmm. which may or may not be a little dishonest. <laughs> um, and the official, official announcement of one of our favorite conventions. Ooh. The Memphis or Portland uh, territory, <laughs> if you're uh, so inclined to the wrestling vernacular mm-hmm. of the comic book conventions. Uh, we have uh, digital sales. We have what we've read this past week, which includes Heroes Reborn number two, Fantastic Four number 32, and Batman the Detective number two. Uh, what we're looking forward to coming out this week, uh, Todd and Joe have issues, Todd's <laughs> art attack, and again, of course, spoiler-filled discussion of the latest episodes of The Flash and Legends of Tomorrow. Right. I even think the art attack is themed this week somehow, Joe. I saw. And again, I'll I'll, I'll save my questions as for the how and the why Mm -hmm. when we get there. So, it has come to this. We have speculated and postulated numerous times on this very show. However, 
Uh, it has been made official that this upcoming September will end the four-year run plus-ish of uh, Al Ewing and Joe Bennett on Immortal Hulk. Yes. Now, there will be, uh, I guess there's a Gamma Flight miniseries that is becoming an ongoing that is going to be the spiritual successor. Right. Of this uh, book, but it's co-written by Crystal Frazier and Al Ewing, and it has art by Land Land Medina, so it's not the, you know, it's not the same, but it is, but it's not, but it is. Right. You know, I think maybe last week when I'd said, oh, Jason Aaron co-writes Valkyrie, and you're like, yeah, sure he does. Yeah, and I'm going to say the same thing about this gamble flight. Am I going to buy it? Yes, because the, you know, the... The luster isn't off it yet, but like when I was reading that Valkyrie, I'm like, not the same as Thor. So we'll see. Yeah. So I'm sad, but I'm excited. You know, um, we're gonna get the finality, but I'll be sad to see this book go. It's been, you know, the top pick. I would say most weeks, if not all right. weeks, maybe like I think three times in history. Except it was when my I... most looked forward book of the week. Right, it would. It, it was the only times it wasn't your most forward look book of the week was when I remembered that it was a layout. <laughs> That's when it wouldn't be. But I look at it the same way as you. Is you know, it's a happy, both sad thing because I don't want to see Immortal Hulk die that slow death. Like let's like milk. If this is the end of the story that he has, and I believe like that writers write in you know either trade paperbacks or fifty or a hundred issues, so this will probably land right where he wants to end. And like Marvel isn't like yeah, just pad it out. Let's get it. If you know. I'm one more than one hundred percent happy to have that that Im- literally an immortal storyline that you know I will remember forever. That they didn't just like you know they didn't ruin the ending on. Yeah, um, now that's another thing is this may, and again, depending on what they decide to do with the collection of this, if they do like a nice big omnibus of this. Right. Or what is that what Marvel calls theirs? Ultimate editions? What does Marvel call theirs? Um, I think right now they just have the omnibus uh, is like the where they do like 25 to 50 issues or something like that. Uh, but they have, like if you're talking about the, like the, they had like uh, the adamantium stuff, like they have different layers. So I don't know exactly which one you're talking about. But if they do like a big fancy collection of this, I, this may be the first book that I end up double dipping for, for the first time in a long time. Right. With the, uh, with the Alex Ross covers, it'll probably be though. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's really all there is in news. Like I said, it's it was a light week, but it's not like we don't have stuff to talk about. Mm-hmm. Ask not for whom the Rob trolls. The Rob trolls for thee. And now, the Rob Watch. Because we have a follow-up to last week's The Rob Watch. Uh, where we discussed the Rob coming off of the Mighty Crusaders books over at Archie. Uh, The first one is still solicited uh, to come out for June 30th. Wink, wink. (laughs) Um, We'll see, because the August solicitations will be coming out here shortly to see if anything else comes out after this. The Rob is very finite in his saying that he is off this book and he is done and so on and so forth, right? Right. And he kept citing that, um, that a key plot point element relevant um, to the story 
is revealed on a retail variant cover, right? Mm-hmm. However, it was pointed out that in the original article announcing this book at the Hollywood Reporter, one of the images was that character with no context that was on the cover of that variant cover also with no context. Right. So did this uh, Tony Roberts really spoil this book? Nope. Now the Rob has then since come out and said, at no time have I named, mentioned, or referred to the artist in this manner. He is not responsible for my exiting Archie. When I was when I informed management I was leaving, it was due to them issuing approval for an image that would reveal the key story component. But this is a key story component that's been out there for months. Right. But then he also said, it's like, oh, in the variant game, everybody's trying to one-up, you know, blah, 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 and get their footnote out there. So, yes, he may not have blamed the artist, but, you know, you're blaming the, the, the variant people who are making that variant. They're in the artist. Like I say, like I, I flip-flop on the Rob all the time. I like him. I don't like him. But he has to be careful. He's got clout, you know, on, on the internet and everything. He's got to be careful what he says because he, he, you know, he'll get people striking back at this artist who created a variant cover. So he doesn't just get to say whatever he wants. I don't know. I And I know he's full of it on this. Like all the times it still comes around to me to that he's so behind on snake eyes that he needs an excuse and out. And like, you could just see it. Like, I know you're full of it and I'm going to say it cause I don't want you to have to edit the show, but you're full of it, Rob. You're, you're just stop it. Like we can all see it and you'll stand there and go, no, no, no. I know the ins and outs and you guys don't understand. And you sound like a baby. You sound like, like a sad child. Give it up. Because I'm, I don't think the pendulum's going to swing back to liking the Rob for a long, long time. For me, anyway. Uh, well, I don't know. Again, he says that he's uh, uh, got other things in the pipeline, and you know, I've been toying, I've been having some fun with checking out these the Rob projects, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I think maybe once G.I. Joe Snake Eyes here wraps up, probably within the next several months, uh, you know, I'll be a little bit more judicious, a little bit more cautious with what Rob projects or the Rob projects I decide to uh, spend my hard-earned money on. Right, and and I'll just say this. If you pick a The Rob project for one of your most look-forward-to books, like when we do that, you're reading it on your own. I'm not going to dabble just to, right. to, to, to do it. So keep that in mind. That's all. I will. But on to more uh, joyous news, more um, happy news, I guess you would say. Um, it was penciled into the calendar for many a nigh on month, uh, but it was just made official this past weekend that Baltimore Comic-Con is returning to the Inner Harbor this October 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. Uh, they've announced your big name, your big gun folks, your Bendises, your Frank Miller, your Garth Ennis, your Tom Kings, your Mark Wades, and so on and so forth. They even have a fancy little crab mascot that I don't think I've ever seen before. I think he's not new, but he's newer. So it's official. This is, you know, 
uh, five months from now, I can see myself going to this convention. So should we just buy our three-day tickets now? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I got to double check. Uh, I think you took the days off, son. The days are taken off, but there's something else that's supposed to be planned for like two weeks prior, and I got to like iron that out first. <sighs> so this is what I'm going to tell you to do. You, When you figure it out, just yeah. buy two three-day tickets and I'll pay you. Okay. That way, I don't buy my ticket thinking you're going to go. And you're, I, I'm contingent on going to this that you go. That's the way I look at it. Oh, okay. So you're not going to go by yourself. We have to go as a, uh, as a package deal? Most likely. Okay. I just want to put pressure on you. That's all. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Because, you know, pressure makes diamonds, Joe. Diamond Joe. (laughs) Um, Like I said, we'll talk, we'll talk, we'll talk, pal. (laughs) I know. I just like putting you on the spot. You know that. Uh, But I'd love to go. I'm excited. Um, All all joking aside, I I think uh, the art collector is probably going to end up going. So oh, well, if he's going, I get to stay home so I can rob his house. That is true. But no, see, you have to go to the con and have one of your dirtbag friends do it. That way you have an alibi. Ah, gotcha. See, I'm thinking ahead for you, Joe, because I want half the take. Yeah, you're sending me a list of the things that you want, right? Listen, you just grab it all and we'll we'll do a draft show on, on his artwork, Joe. Oh boy! But yeah, I'm uh, like I said. I just um, there is some planned finalization that's going to be made this week, allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> and then once that's done, I can start making separate plans for myself. Okay. Yeah. It's always a fun con. I think. I mean, I've been there more than you. One of the it's it's the best con that I go to. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, and it's um one of the cons that we enjoy going to, and uh, you know, it's on the list with what Heroes Con, Emerald City, a couple of the other yep leftover ones. C two E two. You've been to C two E two before though, haven't no, you? No, that's the last dream one. Okay. Because I've been to. Everybody says like I have my. You know, my, 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 uh, what do you, my, the four big ones, the Grand Slam. I, growing up, it was always New York, San Diego, Chicago, and Charlotte there for a while. And then Baltimore became a part of it. So that was five. I've been to San Diego one year. I've been to New York a bunch of times. Uh, Baltimore I've been to, and I've been to the, the Charlotte one once, but never the Chicago show under whatever names. That it was. And that's the last one that I really, really want to go to. And I don't count like uh, Emerald City because that was added later. Would I would I take a comp trip as a Longbox Heroes, you know, ambassador to Emerald City? Sure, give me, you know, like five grand and pay my way and I'm in. Good. But uh, I just eat, uh, eat C2E2 is, you know, I, I want to go to really bad. So. Again, nothing like Chicago in December, Todd. You know, this could be the year. Well, that was the one of the big problems, like because Chica- uh, Chica- C2E2 was always March or April. Yeah. And then they kind of like even before the pandemic, they were like, oh, we're going to ease it back into February. And I'm like, February or March in Chicago, you can get a foot of snow. I'm like, uh-huh. 
So that's kind of always what what kind of throws me off for going is like if they had moved that to like April or or like Mayish, then yeah. I'd be like, all right, I, have, I I mean we can still get a fluke, but come on. All right, so we'll see you in Baltimore, maybe definitely, <laughs> kind of, sorta. Right. Uh, so some of the other stuff that you could see, uh, obviously definitely not see us, but definitely hear us. Uh, that would be at soon to be named network.com soon to be named network.tumblr.com. Uh, where all the shows in our network, long box heroes, long box heroes after dark puzzle warriors, three profane arguments, uh, final wrestling place at odds with wrestling. And we need wrestling all of those shows. And then anytime anybody from those shows go on other shows and uh, you know what I forget cause it's back. Um, wings on wings, remiss. How could I forget that? And porch talk, of course. Uh, spoiler-filled discussion about maybe the future of porch talk on After Dark this week. I don't know. Ooh. Tune in, but anytime those shows go live, or anytime people from those shows go on other shows, those appear over at soon to be named network.com, soon to be named network.tumblr.com. We're coming up to the end of the Tournament of Champions here uh, over on the A Show. I have made it to the finals. Uh, DJ's episode of whether or not he makes it to the finals just went live as we record this. Uh, DJ is currently in the lead, but there's still six more days left to vote. And uh, he does have a narrow margin over his competitor. So if you want to hear me and DJ on a podcast together, go vote for DJ on that. Saddest day of my life was when uh, the man Adam Van was bounced. He used my all, all my Sako accounts to support him. <laughs> I used none of my Sako accounts to support him or me. I just used my one account to support him, but I still won anyway. You keep it fair. I like that about That's you. That's right. I keep it fair when it comes to me. I cheat when it comes to everybody else. Love that attitude. I do the opposite. Uh, you can also check out some of our other friends uh, that are doing lots of creative stuff online and other. Uh, Kevin over at MassLibrary.com. He's had to slow down a little bit on some of his more creative stuff, book reviews, comic reviews, uh, thrift store finds, because his house is being renovated room by room. God bless him, man. Would you believe they gave him an estimate of a week with a straight face? Sounds legit. I think it could be done in half that time. <laughs> uh, Rick Williams over at the Chop Shop with the cool resin figures that he does. Sci-fi, fantasy, wrestling inspired. I even see. I even saw that he had some glow-in-the-dark stuff pop up this ooh. weekend. So, ooh, ooh. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Runt, uh, Battle Monsters, and Jason Sandberg, Jupiter. Both of those comic books are available digitally over at Comixology. Uh, our friend Becky does a lot of original art. Maybe some will show up later on in Todd's Art Attack. And, of course, Comics on the Green, our comic book shop that we go to. Uh, I was even able to refer my friend Chris from out of town to stop there when he and his wife were in town for the weekend doing a office tribute tour, like a thing about the office, like going to all those things. Right, like like uh, the office crawl or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he took in all the sights of Scran. He went to the comic book shop, he went to Cooper's and got the lobster bisque, and he took a picture of the payphone at Lake Scranton. All the things. <laughs> That's right. Remember Scranton's motto, don't get none on you. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and you should put that on the sign coming in. And right. re-edit all the episodes of The Office to include that. I would love it. 
but all the links to all of those things that I just mentioned there are in the show notes with every single one of these episodes, as are any of the digital sales that are going on, just in case you're that type of person who likes sales or want to build up your back catalog on the cheap. Marvel has a couple sales going on this weekend, uh, both uh, related to Shang-Chi and Magneto. Uh, I would not, I would be remiss if I did not mention the Cullen Bunn uh, solo run on Magneto from a couple years back is included oh. in that Magneto sale. And that is an unheralded run on a comic book. That is, yes, I'm not a like X guy or anything like that. But that run of Magneto was was way better than like uh, a, a mutant title should be, Joe. Uh, I saw someone tweet the other day that getting into X-Men comics today is harder than getting into an Ivy League college. <laughs> and they're not wrong, but that Magneto series is very self-contained. Yes, like, it was. a little bit about what was going on in all new X-Men at the time that they fill you in in the first issue. And then it's just like, Maybe Cyclops shows up two times in the whole series. Right. And the rest is just Magneto doing stuff, and it's really good. I totally agree. I can't believe how, like, like easy it was to get into that comic. Yeah. Uh, like I said, a couple holdovers from the last couple weeks as well. Uh, image with that sci-fi sale that has Saga in it. Boom with the Power Rangers sale. Dynamite with the Red Sonja sale. Uh, Dynamite with the crossover sale, whatever that means. Uh, Dark Horse is having a sale on Mythical Beasts sales, and I think that, like, includes it. It's getting, like, a little loosey-goosey, like how DC <laughs> does their sales. Right. It's like, uh, you know, Dragon Age, there's some manga in there. If there's, like, an animal in the title of the book, I guess that counts. Right. Uh, but then DC just decides to go, you know, as... As boilerplate template as you possibly can, it's a Batman sale. Wow, that's what sells, Joe. It certainly does. So, uh, like I said, all the links to those will be in the show notes here as well. Also, let's get into what we read from this past week. Todd, where would you like to begin? I'm going to start with the book I was looking forward to most, which was Fantastic uh, Four, number 32, written by Dan Slott, art by Javier... Rodriguez. Um, also, there's a backup story uh, that stands out too. But uh, basically, this is starts out with the uh, 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 Ben and Johnny and, and his girlfriend and Ben's wife. They get invited to the museum in New York because the Latvian uh, artifacts are there, and so is Victorious uh, guarding them. And they go. And things get out of hand, as you would imagine, because people show up to revolt against the Latvian army. They're basically almost piggybacking off the uh, Captain America thing. It's like one one world, one people kind of a thing. They're like, no, no, no kingdoms at all. So in this, uh, they end up, you know, attacking everything and the half the Fantastic Four end up having to help. But in it, I love the fact that uh, that Doom's second in command is like, uh, is just as pompous as he is. And she's like, who cares if the American artifacts get destroyed? It's all about the Latvian heritage. Um, in the end, uh, Johnny and his girlfriend end up having a fight, and things go sideways from there. And in the end, he ends up maybe making a huge mistake. And uh, at the worst possible moment, Dr. Doom, spoiler alert, proposes. And uh, 
I was worried that there wasn't going to be a lot of Dr. Doom in this, in this issue, because obviously it was the first issue and that's the way I felt. Uh, but I got a backup story with lots of, you know, Dr. Doom. Uh, I like the feel of this, this, this first issue, where it's going, how bad the wedding could turn out if Dr. Doom gets certain information. Um, I had a blast with this. It, it wasn't quite what I, I didn't know what to expect to tell you the truth, but I, I love it. And I'm, I'm in for how many issues this goes and then we'll get to the to the backup story if you want what did you think yeah so i kind of fell off uh fantastic four for a bit it was just one of those books that kind of kind of fell to the bottom of the read pile uh but todd picked this for his book so i read it picked it back up and i enjoyed it um and again this is not a knock on the rest of the fantastic four but if i was to rank my favorite members of the fantastic four Ben is number one and Johnny is number two. And they were like the majority of this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reed gets his little bit at the end, which, uh, you know, we could talk about that second feature. And unless we didn't see her, Sue was barely in this issue. Maybe she was invisible, Joe. Right. Because uh, but- all, all joking aside, because there's a, there's a rift between uh, Johnny and Sue, because she doesn't like the new uh, soulmate girlfriend that she has, that that Johnny has, and she's been spying on him in invisibly, and that's put a rift. He's like, listen, I don't mess with you and your relationship, so he's kind of like always looking over his shoulder for Sue, which, I mean, obviously you haven't read the last couple issues, so you wouldn't know that, so I wouldn't doubt if she was actually there watching stuff that went down. <laughs> Right. So as you mentioned, the the new girlfriend who's the soulmate, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they do a bunch of getting all of like Johnny's big name past loves in this book. Right. And then they do kind of a misdirect with the end of the book. Yep. Uh, so I liked it. I, you know, if the, the Fantastic Four gradually turns into a romance book, I'm OK with it. Right. Yep. And then I like um, the... where was it? Where is it going with this? Oh, so the the soulmate thing. Um, that part obviously was when I haven't been reading the book for a while, so I was a little bit lost there. They do a, they try to do a good job of explaining the hows and the whys of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's the beginning of the story arc. Let's assume a lot of people are going to come on because of the shock and awe of this issue. Um, but it doesn't matter because at the end of the issue, I don't care about her anymore. Yep. Bigger, big, there's bigger fish to fry after that. There certainly are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then in our backup book, uh, backup feature, and this is the one by Javier Rodriguez, right? Yes. Uh, we get a duel that goes all the way back to Reed and Victor's college days, uh, but this time escalating from chess to uh, a sword fight, a duel, if you will, by literal terms. And in the solicitation text, it states a second tale in which Reed Richards duels Dr. Doom for the strangest prize imaginable. <clears throat> and as Todd mentioned, uh, don't want to spoil too, too much about this book. But uh, again, the title of the storyline is The Bride of Doom. Uh, Doom proposes to Victoria to be the queen of Latveria in his steed as he takes care of more pressing matters. And, uh, you know, maybe you can connect the dots from there. Right. But all in all, I like this book. It was fun. Anytime you could see uh, Doom kind of like get get a one up on the, you know, the infernal Richards, I'm fine with it. So 
Um, I'm looking forward to the, especially after the the, the backup story, like the revelation. Uh, yep, love it all. And wasn't there something more recently in uh, an ad or a solicitation for an upcoming Fantastic Four storyline where it's like a character will be changed in a major way for the first time ever? I think so. I kind of, because I know they were kind of pushing that with uh, with Alicia and Ben. You know what I mean? And they ended up giving them, because I don't know if you know this, you know, uh, like obviously that, were you reading when they got the kids? No, uh, that was like, that was at the end of Empire, right? Yes. Yeah. That they, uh, they, because they were fighting for like a cosmic, you know, uh, fight club. And Ben's like, no, no, no. And they brought him home. And Alicia was like, well, we'll take them in and we'll adopt them as our kids. So that's another, like, like there's been a lot of changes to the FF, like in a short time since you stopped reading. Mm hmm. But like I said, this issue did a good job of kind of catching you up on most of it, at least the more important stuff, right? Right. Uh, but still, it was good. Check it out. Uh, so uh, the the other book we're both looking well that I was looking forward to, which was Heroes Are Born number two, written by Jason Aaron, uh, with art by Ed McGinnis. Uh, we kind of got the uh, fishbone, the skeleton of what this Heroes Are Born thing sort of is. Uh, this issue very much focuses just on uh, uh, Hyperion, who's essentially Superman, right? Mm-hmm. Squadron Supreme. Um, they're the Justice League in the Marvel Universe. They are in place of the Avengers in whatever this alternative world is. Um, you know, by day, instead of being a mild-mannered reporter, his alter ego is a mild-mannered elementary school teacher. Right. Uh, we get to see a lot more goofy um, amalgams of some of your favorite <laughs> Marvel uh, supervillains. But I would say the crux of this issue uh, happens where if Hyperion is Superman, the Hulk shows up as his bizarro in the middle of his uh, classroom. Right. And uh, then we get a backup feature, I guess. And this, so actually, my apologies. So. Backup features by Ed McGinnis. The front part is by Dale Keown. Uh, backup feature is essentially where we reveal that Blade from last issue was successful in his mission. Right. So um, I like this issue a little bit less. I like the first issue a lot. Uh, I like this one a little bit less just because I felt as though Hyperion and Hulk being Superman and Bizarro was a little forced. Right. And I think even though it kind of works with who Hyperion's Jimmy Olsen is and everything, it I, I, this is like that, that that the kids say, this is way too try hard, if you will, for me. Um, with like you said, the Amal Gams and all the to make it the DC heroes. Um, I didn't like I said, I wasn't a big fan of the first issue. Um, I liked it about the same for the the the, the second issue, you know. Um not not loving it. Like I said, I was not his Avengers stuff that I enjoyed. So, like, if you didn't pick it, probably wouldn't have read the second one, you know? Yeah, so when the Squadron Supreme people are less the focus and Blade is more the focus and him trying to solve this puzzle mm -hmm. and put the pieces of the Avengers back together, that's the stuff that I liked more. Right, and this just seems to be like, oh, here's all our cool Amalgam stuff, you know? Yeah, and that's fine, you know? 
I, I get the story that you're trying to tell. Um, you know, it's a a weekly mini series that goes, I think, to the end of this month, maybe the beginning of next. Uh, I'm okay with a fun light read here. You know, right. So last but not least, uh, we both also read um, Batman the Detective number two, written by Tom Taylor with art by Andy Kubert. And we're a month off um, from last month, so I got no problem talking about what the crux of this story is because we kind of tiptoed around it last time. Right. That there is a group of mercenaries, a group of people, a group of someones that are going back and killing all of the people that Batman has saved. Uh, the group is now calling themselves the Equilibrium. Uh, their leader and disciple wear very similar costumes to what Batman wears, but all white instead of all black. Uh, we get a cool bit of how Batman puts a tracer on someone, in someone, near someone. And mm-hmm. then uh, we get like some good fun uh, swashbuckling stuff and maybe even a little bit of a uh, throwback to the first Nolan Batman movie. Yep. Um, I, the, the reason I wanted to talk about this is because I this issue I actually even love more than the first one because it plays well. Tom Taylor plays well with gags without making Batman be the one making the jokes, if you know what I mean. Like the bit where they're on Big Ben and he's trying to get the information and he's doing the thing that he does and he ends up bringing up how much like weight that the the the, the villain has. And he's like, we're not in America. I don't, I don't know pounds. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And it's just like that, like at like that's a gag. But in it, the guy's trying to figure out if the, the line's going to snap. And I'm like, that's real genius. And then even in the way, like, there's a moment where somebody offers Bruce, uh, who knows his secret identity, a lollipop. And you think, this could be played for stupidity. And all it is later is just him, like, doing research, like, eating the lollipop. And I'm like, that's brilliant because they don't play it up. It's not made for laughs. It's like, Batman can enjoy a lollipop occasionally without... Uh, I don't know if I, I'm, I'm, you know, getting through what I'm trying to say. I just like the little bits in this that make Batman human without making him the joke. And there's even like little, like a little twist later on in the book where Batman's explaining something, and when you finally figure out what what he's explaining isn't quite what you're seeing, I'm like, that's genius in both the art and the storytelling all around. Um, I really like it. And the uh, stuff going back and forth between Batman and Squire where he's like, well, why did, why did she pick you? And she's like, well, why not? Like, why wouldn't she pick me? Like you, you have a weird way of thinking. And I'm like, at no point do they belittle Batman, but they like, they question things about him, if that makes any sense. And I like that because I hate when you, you don't make Batman look strong. Joe. You know? Well, again, Batman has been, Batman, the Batman that we know since that first uh, four-issue arc on the Grant Morrison JLA back in the 90s, right? Right. And that kind of redefined who and what Batman is. So to see this book where it's like, okay, Batman could still do all of those things that he's been established to be able to do for the last, you know, 15, 20 years, whatever it's been, but the other characters are going to treat him as another character in a comic book. Not the god of all the characters in the comic book. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't happen very often. Or if it does, 
uh, you know, somebody attempts to do that to Batman, and then their and then their hash is immediately settled. Mm-hmm. So, so it was fun to see kind of Batman to be spoken to as just a normal person who just happens to be really good at a job at his job, you know. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I really like this. You know, it's a mini series. I think what's what did it say? Six issues on the cover here. I have it right here. Let me look one second. Yes, this is issue two of six. Turn my head. Um, so yeah, I've really been enjoying this. Um, you know, uh, DC puts out a lot of Batman content, but you know, the biggest problem with it is that it's mostly all good. Mm -hmm. So you have to really pick and choose where you pick your Batman books. (laughs) Yeah, they do put out a lot. So that's what we read from this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. If you head over to longboxheroes.com, every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, and I hear the price of backs are going up. Oh. Whether you get your books digitally, whether you wait for the trades, whether you wait for the oversized hardcovers, however it is that you get your books, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out. Pre-order those variant covers. Contact your retailer ahead of time. Let them know which ones you want. <laughs> um, Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, I am currently in the lead with two correct guesses over Todd. Let's get into this and see what Todd is most looking forward to coming out this week. But Todd, I have a question for you. Yes. What is Fantastic Four Life Story number one? Um, it is a mini series written by Mark Russell and art by Sean Zasky. I don't know. I, he's a new guy, but uh, basically it's telling uh, in the traditional Spider-Man life story and the celebration of FF 60th anniversary comes the series settling the lives of the fabulous foursome in real time across the years amid the backdrop of the cold war and the space race, a terrible accident gives the fantastic four their great powers, a terrible secret and in Tangles them in the history of their planet. Mark Russell, the political songster, right? Yes, yes. The satiristic uh, musician, yes. Uh, I'm going to say that's the one you're most looking forward to coming out this week. It is what I'm looking forward to most this week. Um, is I'm looking over your list um, because I had to flip back and forth be, to get that solicitation for you. Um, is the book you're looking forward to most Immortal Hulk Time of Monsters number one by Al Ewing? Al Ewing and various, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's a bunch of people doing a bunch of Hulk stories, but the thing that they're hanging their hat on this is it's the secret origin of the Immortal Hulk. Right. Uh, but it's enough Al Ewing for me to uh, be invested and be excited. Just a quick question as we're discussing. Did you even know that Mark Russell was doing a Fantastic Four mini? Uh, I did not. You know, sometimes okay. things slip by, you know? I was just curious. I know you're a big fan. I was wondering what kind of waved you off or if you just didn't know about it. You know what I mean? I, yeah. it's You know, like I said, it's maybe I think a book being done by Mark Russell should get a little bit more publicity that I know it's happening. Fair enough. And that's on me. Right. I I need to be a better comic speculator, I guess. Do you need me to go over your pull list for you? You know, I could do that yeah, for you. Yeah, you can if you want to. I'll, I'll share the Google Doc with you. 
Oh, good, because there's nothing <laughs> nothing worse than giving your access to a Google Doc. What could what could happen, Joe? Right, especially a tab that says "My Picks." Ooh, that's for your nose, right? Yes. Oh <laughs> my goodness. So uh, again, no uh, movement there. Yes, sadly. I was hoping to pull out there, but again, you know, it's a Mortal Hulk week, so. That's right. I was mad that you got the Mark Russell thing correct. <laughs> you know what? I'll tell you this. If it wasn't Mark, if that wasn't written by Mark Russell, I was going with Nightwing. Well, let's just say if that wasn't, well, I wouldn't say many people, but if that wasn't written by Mark Russell, it would have been Nightwing. But let's right. just say that was Mark Wade, then maybe, you know what I mean? With that gotcha. One, you know? So while you're over at uh, longboxheroes.com, uh, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I have done together, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of After Dark, or the current ongoing Smash Sensation, Todd and Joe Have Issues, where I uh, we are revisiting the mid-2000s run of Jonah Hex by Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray, and revisiting the possibly wrongly possibly rightly maligned <laughs> spider clone saga right. of the uh, mid to late 90s okay so if it's okay with you let's start with jonah hex and get that out of the way right because who wants a palate cleanser after the clone saga but right. go ahead so uh jonah hex number 28 the first third of the book uh uh, is no dialogue, but it's a very striking imagery of a young man who is uh, possibly uh, wrongfully hung and then burned alive, or burned dead, I guess, because he'd be hung and dead and then burned. Right. Uh, and the young man's companion, we'll say, right, uh, comes to a town and attempts to hire Jonah to kill an entire town. Mm -hmm. And Jonah refuses, saying, listen, you know, can't kill an entire town, you know? And, and the kid's like, well, everyone's like, everyone's an accomplice. Everyone's guilty. And Jonah's like, even the children, even like babies in a carriage, even old and infirmed, they're guilty as well. And he tells the kid to get out of here. I'm not taking your thing. Right. So, so the kid takes it upon himself and essentially blows up the whole town. And he comes back to Jonah I'm not sure if to brag. I'm not sure if to kind of say, I don't need you, old man. But whatever it is that his attitude is, it's less the attitude and it's more the action of doing this that sends Jonah into a rage that I have never seen Jonah in in the 28 issues of this that I've read or I can't remember from that run of All-Star Western from some 10 plus years ago. Right. And Jonah tears this kid apart. Mm -hmm. And uh, the lady of the evening that Jonah was with was like, hey, man, you're going too far. She pulls a gun on Jonah, maybe takes a shot or two at him. And Jonah's like, I'm taking you in to the kid. And I say kid, he's probably like a late teens, early 20s type. Mm -hmm. um, he's like, I'm taking you in. You just murdered an entire town, a bunch of innocent people, right? Yep. And, uh, you know, and Jonah mutilates the kid and, you know, butchers the kid up and 
kid can't speak anymore after what Jonah did to him. And Jonah's essentially said, no, he'll write down his confession, you know? Right. So, uh, the sheriff is like, no, we got this from here. I think you better leave, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, he does. And, uh, you know, this is maybe one of the more dark tales of Jonah. Like, this is a side of Jonah that we have not seen before. I I, I agree definitely. I think some of it was um, because, like, as the story goes on, like he's in the town to 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 get rid of somebody, and the sheriff ends up paying him off. And he's like, "Well, you know, maybe you should leave." And he's like, "Well, get away from me before I take insult." And then they just show him like doing drink after drink after drink. Um, and I just feel like he's been in this town this whole time getting drunk. And when the guy comes back, he has a package on and that kind of loses it over. But like him discussing, he's like, yeah, like the guy's like, I heard what you did because like news travels fast in the old West. He comes back and he's like, you know, he's like, you, like you murdered youngins, not even in, out of short pants, pregnant women, old men, like, and I'm not saying this guy didn't deserve it. Like Jonah went way too far, but he knew they were going to hang him. And uh, yeah, like the, this. He's he's a ra- he's a red lantern if I've ever seen one, Joe. So yeah, I he he went over the top, but um yeah, you don't see him much like this. But I find this this issue actually fascinating, especially because the guy is wants revenge for his companion, and I do like the fact that when he when Joan, he talks to Jonah, he's like he's like I don't care about your love life. He goes the only thing I care about is like that maybe what you do like brings you grief sometimes because I'm not in a good mood, and I'm like. Wow, like, but he's very open-minded, so I like that. Which mm-hmm. he did bring up a lot in uh, All-Star Western when he had a companion along the way, a female companion. So it's nice to know, you know, he's not a not a too terrible of a person other than to people who murder babies and old men. Yeah, so again, this, uh, this is a good issue as well. Uh, I really like the art in this. Uh, oh, who, was hey. this who was this artist? Um, Joe Higgins, uh, maybe? Yeah. Uh, I'll I tell you. I don't recall if we've seen him before. I don't think or John Higgins. My apologies. John Higgins. I don't think we've seen him in this, but I think we've seen him around. You know what I mean? Okay. But that hanging scene, like down to the burnt body, I was like, wow, graphic. Yep. So uh, over to you there, Todd. All right. So my issue was Web of Spider Man 125, I believe, with the hollow disc. Um, so. Always fantastic. Book starts out with uh, Peter, who's dressed in the Scarlet Spider costume because Ben's in jail, uh, taking his place for the for the murder that he's apparently Peter's you know accused of. Um, so Peter breaks into the uh, Daily Bugle to get some information, and right here, right out of the gate, this issue starts making my head hurt because I don't know because I read this digitally. Joe, does the actual physical copy? Turn the book upside down. No. Here. No? Okay. The digital copy that I read uh had all the words upside down, like because he was hanging upside down. Yeah, it was just on one page. Oh, I hated it. Couldn't find it. It was probably just like some sort of weird printing thing with converting it over to digital. Right, right. So um, but he ends up so it made me hard to figure out how to read the page, so I had to flip it around kind of a deal. And he ends up like discussing, like, oh, he was looking for clues to 
uh, the Jackal's real life is his name, did Professor Warner or something like that? And Professor Miles Warren, yes. Warren. He's like, okay, so I, he's like, but I found this information that was supposed to be that he's, something happened to him in the newspaper, but it was after the date that he was supposed to be re, regenerating as the clone or whatever. So I'm going to go look into this at this address. And while that happens, somebody walks into the room who ends up, like saying he thinks his uncle's working late um, and that scares Peter out. So he leaves. Um, I'm not sure if that pays off later, but um, so he goes to Peter goes to this address uh, while that's going on. Uh, MJ is talking with black cat that the irradiated blood may have affected the, the unborn baby and in, in, inside explains the clone thing to her that Ben's in jail. She's like, all right, that makes sense. When I visit him, like, you know, blah, blah, blah. She goes, well, I'm going to go talk to, I'm going to go track down Peter and talk to him. So I guess that's the whole, you know, Megilla there. But now in the whole story with Peter going to this house, he gets there, his spider sense goes off because the roof is triggered to be electrified. He's like, this isn't right. There's something definitely going on here. So he goes in and he's like, oh, in the garage, there's like a sleep. Like, super set up for like super science. He's like, that's not normal. So he goes in and he ends up seeing uh, Gwen who gets the drop on him because he's so shocked to see yet Gwen for like the 900th time. Apparently um, she hits him with an electric mop. I think I I'm not 100% sure, but uh, she hits him with a hot mop, the hot mop <laughs> and then fired him down off the roof. Right. Um, but that's the thing that, Call those guys over to electrify the roof. The one shoots his friend through the window like he's cute, you know? <laughs> so oh, I forgot. Along the way, Peter was explaining that, like, that Professor Warren had a, like, a weird take for uh, Gwen in his life. And that his wife had died or something like that. So that is kind of a surrogate. His love went to that. So he and well, Peter's, like, knocked out on the floor, uh, the a, a Warren clone, I guess, comes in and is like, Gwen, we got to get out of here. They leave and they start discussing like, you know, like, oh, we got to run from the spider. And she's like, yeah, I always remember like, like how he was bad, I guess, because of memories implanted. I don't even know at this point. But uh, Peter, like, found information that now this is where I get really confused. So I'm going to go to you to that old uh, annual. Um, was was this somehow a different woman with different memories named Joyce or something like that. Okay. So, uh, before this clone saga happened, right? Right. They decided that there was one Gwen clone that ended up being left out there. Okay. Kind of left out in limbo. And during the eighties annual crossover regarding <laughs> the high evolutionary called evolutionary war. Right. The high evolutionary picked this this spider Gwen clone up or this Gwen clone up and gave her superpowers, gave her a new identity of that Joyce Delaney or whatever it is. And then after that whole storyline wrapped up, it was supposed to resolve whatever that dangling thread of like there's still a clone out there. Mm -hmm. But like it didn't. So now this is trying to tie that up what they did with the. Gwen clone from the 70s story to the high evolutionary evolutionary war from the 80s to this. Right. 
So I was like, I'm trying to figure it out. And there was an asterisk and I could have went and looked it up. Didn't feel like doing extra homework, Joe. <laughs> so, right. So, uh, so while that's going on, Peter ends up going like, well, I'm going to chase the car. He threw a tracker on the car at some point. And he leaves. While this is going on, a Green Goblin shows up. A Green Goblin. I don't know which one. Um, he starts following Peter, like hiding and ducking behind stuff anytime Peter would look. So they end up going to the bridge that he's chasing him and they go across the bridge that Gwen originally died on. And then the green goblin shows up, like reveals himself. And Peter's like, what the green goblin. So the car veers off due to a pumpkin bomb and starts falling. And Gwen falls out of the car and Peter's like, not again. Like I've, I've been, I've lived. This is the only like halfway decent part of this whole issue is that he's like, I've relived this over and over in my mind because I know what not to do. And he ends up saving this version of Gwen because uh, of that. And then the Warren clone falls into the water and he wanted to ask him questions, but he does the clone degeneration thing and he's gone. Um, the Green Goblin leaves. Um, where does Gwen go at the end of this? I forget. She's just crying somewhere. Does Peter? I think Peter leaves her with the police. Okay. And oh, then, no, no, she she kind of like walks away, and then she's like roaming the streets by herself. Right. Um. And then the Green Goblin goes home, and he was like, "I didn't expect to see like this person with a gun and somebody dressed up in one of the spider costumes." And my uncle, he mentions his uncle again, which makes me think about the uncle that he's the guy who walked in on Peter at the Daily Bugle at the beginning of the story, but I'm not 100% sure because I don't know where this falls into whether this is... Because there was the Norman. What was the son's name? I always forget. Uh, Harry. Harry. And then there was a Green Goblin that was good for a little while, which I think this might be the one's first appearance, if that makes any sense. Correct. Right, which then if it is this one, I'm pretty sure it's... A relation to Robbie? No. Okay. Close. It is. Well, it's you know. So the person that we see at the end again. The there's like a little second feature that attempts to kind of clarify um, all the other stuff in regards to the clones and stuff. Uh, the 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 Miles Warren clone and the Gwen Stacy Joyce Delaney clone. Whatever. Right. Um. So this is yet another issue of the Spider-Clone saga that I think does more harm than good. Um, as I mentioned, this was them trying to clean up whatever they did in the high evolutionary thing from like 86, maybe. Right. To try to like tie that clone that was brought out of a storyline that should have been forgotten in the first place into another storyline that was to be forgotten in the first place. I don't know what their thought process was here. Um, this, and then we get in spectacular Spider-Man, whatever in like two or three weeks, which is another appearance of this new green goblin and this issue and that issue of spectacular that comes out that we read here in two weeks is supposed to be the launching point for the spinoff series of the new baby face green, green goblin book. Right. Right. I think the book lasts like, like 13 issues, maybe. 
It wasn't long. I remember that. No, it was not very long. And I have every issue, of course. <laughs> of course. We're not, reading all, we're not reading any of them for this. I don't know. I would actually like to read Babyface Green Goblin instead of the Clone Saga. Um, but there's, like, bits in here. Like, we're getting to see, like, oh, Ben's still in jail in Peter's place, but nothing really happens. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter, a placeholder. Or, yeah, Mary Jane and Felicia are starting to, like, kind of build a little bit of trust in each other because they're like two female presences, presences in Peter's life um, that may have been on the outs because like, you know, they're both, you know, current wife, ex-girlfriend, but, you know, they have a bond. So this is them kind of forming that bond or strengthening that bond for future issues. And another thing that was weird about, so two big things that were weird about this. I think this is the first issue since it happened that they explicitly mentioned the passing of Aunt May. Right. Like, we all know that Aunt May has passed, and, you know, immediately after the funeral, at the end of issue 400 of Amazing Spider-Man, Peter goes off the, uh, Peter gets arrested at the funeral, or at the wake, or whatever it is. But in, like, these, like, in the entire Mark of Cain thing, at no point does anyone say, like, all of this and Aunt May died, you know? Right, right. Which makes me feel as though that was really placeholdery stuff, too. That kind of could have fit in anywhere because there was a major key plot point, Aunt May dying, that isn't even mentioned for five issues, right? Mm-hmm. And then we get the whole bit where the Green Goblin is supposed to be a baby face. And, you know, he goes back to the room and he's like, oh, I mean, my uncle is here. He's at the at the daily bugle offices and then he says oh i guess i've got a lot more to learn about powers and responsibility right but when he is the green goblin in this issue he does evil things yes positioned as the you know antagonist of the story he attacks the car he goes after peter as scarlet spider he kidnaps gwen clone out of the car and he acts completely out of what the character has been set up uh, after what he says. Like, he reacts to things that did not happen in this issue. Right. Maybe this was, was a, a very t- schizophrenic issue. It was an anniversary tale because it was a 125th issue, you know, because that's any anything that ends in a five is an anniversary. Anything that <laughs> ends in a zero is an anniversary. Right. Um, it was a reason to make you pay four of your hard-earned 1990-whatever dollars. Hollow disc, Joe. A hollow disc on the cover of the book to try to tie up a loose end from an annual from 10 years prior and to introduce a new babyface green goblin. Thumbs down. A hollow disc, more like a hollow story, Joe. You ain't kidding. I didn't like it. I thought this, and I even thought it was written terribly with some of like the clunky lines that I'm not even going to get into. You know what I mean? Yeah. So this issue was very much. Uh, the creative team, and I got no problem naming them here as we're talking. Because, <laughs> um, again, I did not love the work that they did. Terry Cavanaugh, who's not typically bad. And then Stephen Butler and Randy Emberlin that were doing uh, breakdowns and finishes on arts. So they all together were very much trying to capture the J.M. DeMatty's Mark Bagley look and feel of Amazing Spider-Man. And it did not work. It failed miserably. Yes. So hopefully the next issue of Spider-Clone Saga will be better. Well, again, issue 29 of Jonah Hex. Again, it's just one issue. 
Uh, but the next issue that we'll be reading is going to be Amazing Spider-Man number 402. Okay. Uh, typically, the Amazing Spider-Man issues are good, right? Right. So this will be great. I give you a tease for this or no? Well, what? What do you need me to do? Nothing. Dead air. Looking for my issue. Oh, you're going to bring it up and put it on the screen for me? I'm trying. I'm trying to. I can't wait to see your beautiful mug. You have a handsome face, Joe. My hair is not growing back as quick as I'd like it to. Wow. (laughs) The the ones on your back probably are. Okay, so just as 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 a gimme in this issue, right? Right. So, uh, again, it's JM, it's Mark Bagley. Oh, so uh, it should right be on, decent. Right, and right on the cover, it's Judas Traveler. <sighs> and the issue is entitled, The Battle for Aunt May's Soul. Oh, good. Her illusionary soul or her real soul? Well, we'll find out. Mm. So that's what we'll have to read for uh, next week. Um, hey, again, one more time, uh, while you're over longboxheroes.com, uh, be sure to check out our store, uh, where you can purchase shirts or pins or stickers, uh, directly from us. And hey, uh, those shirts and pins and stickers, the black shirts, uh, with the, uh, red, white, and black logo, or those pins or those stickers, we're going to be at LVAC, Mahoning Drive-In, Real Rumble Friday, Real Rumble Saturday this weekend. If you want some, message me. I'll bring them with me, you know? Uh, save you a couple shekels on the shipping, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you want more uh, items other than just shirts and pins and stickers with even more fancy designs on them, inspired by this show, inspired by After Dark, inspired by Adults with Wrestling, inspired by Final Wrestling Place, head over to RT Public Store. Uh, this Thursday, Friday, Saturday, it's 30% off everything. Uh, the... The shortcut for that is tinyurl.com slash longboxheroes. Uh, I said check that out. Everything from cell phone covers to face masks. Uh, You know, I say you still need them. But what do I know? Uh, I still need mine, even though I'm fully vaccinated. I'm just trying to protect the world and, uh, you know, cover up all this handsome. (laughs) Uh, You can also support us by heading over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash longbox heroes for as little as a dollar a month you get two bonus shows a month from us one is six never seen movies where todd assigns me six movies i've never seen i assign todd six movies he's never seen and we talk about them on alternating months and previewing the past where we look at that month's previews 30 years ago um the dollar folks will be getting previewing the past may 1991 this weekend uh, the $5 and up folks will be getting six never seen movies, Ed Wood, on Sunday. Again, Todd and I will both be out of town for uh, Real Rumble presented by the LVAC at the Mahoney Drive in this Friday and Saturday. Right. Uh, one more way that you can support us as well is making any and all of your purchases through our Amazon click through at the top of the page at longboxheroes.com. Amazon calls it an advertising fee. I call it the thing that makes Todd happy at the end of the month. When he gets his cut of the advertising fee. Yeah. Some of the notable purchases the Amazon click through this past week include. 
Uh, somebody picked up another one of those Kitala Princess Disney mangas. This one uh, on Mulan. So I guess the other ones were a hit that we're picking up more. Right. Uh, somebody purchased Ms. Myers Clean Day Multi-Surface Everyday Cleaner in hockey, Honey Suckle Scent. Easy for Ooh. me to say. Yep. Uh, somebody purchased an eight-pack of one-quarter... Uh, one and one quarter inch uh, buttons um, with a variety of Black Lives Matters slogans on them. And somebody also purchased both the Essentials of Testing and Assessment, a practical guide for counselors, social workers, and psychologists, and uh, doing family therapy, third edition, craft and creativity in a clinical practice. Are you... A listener becoming a psychologist or social worker. I know two people that need to be examined. <laughs> yeah. Contact me and we'll talk. Very, very badly. So uh, thank you again for ending all the purchases this week, last week, and any week ever. Uh, every little bit helps. I'm not going to say the old keeps the lights on. Like I said, you know, everything is kind of bought and paid for. We're not some sort of like big operation that needs to pay for a studio. And hundreds and thousands of dollars of bandwidth, but we appreciate it. Right. Todd, did we have any art attacks this week? We had very, we had a bunch of them. Um, and two kind of themes going on. Uh, first one uh, is from uh, Dan, uh, Concierge Comic. A commission I got from Annie the Kitty that I used for a Mother's Day gift this year. My kiddos placed in the Timothy Hunter universe. I'm sorry, Harry Potter universe. Um, basically it's, you know, I bet his, his children, uh, dressed in the Harry Potter outfits. I've never really seen the movies or read the books. So I'm, I'm guessing like, you know, def, that's what they are. The scarves and stuff. Uh, you know more about that than I do. Yeah. I would say, right. Again, they, uh, popularized, uh, fantasy characters wearing scarves. <laughs> uh, they are from the Gryffindor house. And I know it's emulating his children, but one would assume that's supposed to be Harry and Ron. Okay, that's, you know, uh, but I, you know, looks fantastic. Um, and also, he got, uh, he got his comics from Comics on the Green, and Andy the Kitty put in a, a, a Scrooge McDuck dollar with the words, back in my day, you could go to, uh, you could go to the store with a dollar and come back with a soda and a comic. Now they have cameras. Fantastic, Joe. Gotta love those good jokes that uh, that you love so much. So, I always have to explain to my son uh, that Dave's favorite characters, in no particular order, are Spider Man, Godzilla, and Scrooge McDuck, and Toy Man and Red Tornado. Right, uh, that's four and five, of course. Yes. Um. So, not a you know a, th a theme going on. Rebecca's art, just a sketch of a girl by Rebecca. Uh, early stages obviously she hasn't colored it or it's just more of a rough kind of a deal well, actually more of a finish than a rough but uh a nice you know piece all in all i like the hair i like the i would i don't want to say vacant look in the eyes but i would say different look in the eyes yep definitely a woman who's staring at me across the room i would say joe mm, that's gosh. the way i would describe that 
Um, now to the piece de resistance of the uh, Todd's art attack this this week. Um, from uh, Mang Matt, uh, he's am I starring in a Disney Plus show next year? Is it even me, Tom Durenick, Where he on a sketch cover for the Secret Invasion miniseries, it's uh, Mang Matt as a scroll Joe. Very nice. Looks just like him. Um, also, uh, I retweeted that and then said, is this the real Todd tweeting this or is it a scroll? I also have a secret invasion sketch cover that Tom direct Durant did where I'm a skull, a scroll. I think my arm should be a little bigger though, to make it more realistic. Um, and then oh, finally, I like, we'll- I like the striation in your arms there. Ugh. I like, I like the, the Raiders hat, but not the trademarked one. <laughs> so right, I you want to get on this personalized sketch cover. Right, right, right. Don't want to get sued by the Davis family. <laughs> but man, those arms are huge. Um, and finally, uh, T T Bolt Seven Twelve. Hey, Todd's Art Attack. Here's a double feature. I was lucky to get the scrollified by a friend of the show, Tom Durenick, too. Definitely one of my most unique sketches. I have another Secret Invasion sketch by the one and only Dan Brereton, a Captain America, or is it a scroll? Um, so yeah. Uh, scrollified people from the comic shop, Joe. Did some scroll thing get announced over the weekend and I missed it that shook all this out? Um, not that I know of, but I think they're setting up stuff for the secret. And I think they might've like said, who's doing something for secret invasion, the TV show or a star or something like that. Maybe Matt just found his, but I do believe there are two more that are in this set of scrollified people from the shop. I believe there is one of our retailer who scrollified and they were all up on, you know, behind the uh, register where that, like the, the door into the back office was, there's that little like partition there. They were all up there until the retailer realized that that's, that's, you know, valuable uh, space for high end comics instead of dopey sketches of people who shop there. <laughs> But so okay, there was one of T bolts there was one of Matt, there was one of me, one of the retailer, all his scrolls, and then there's one of Ralph, who because he wanted to be different, he had Tom draw I wish we had a picture of it, draw a picture of him as a moose. So when anybody asked why he's dressed as a moose, people could say, Well, that's up there, that's moose and scrolls. Mm. Which I love personally. Um, so I wish, you know, I had a picture of that. Moose and Scrolls, Joe. No, I'm okay. That's good. So, all around good time on the Art Attack this week. So, I think that's the end of the show, unless we get into some TV talk, right? I believe that's what we're going to do, TV talk, and we're done. All right. So, let's start with The Flash, since that's the oldest of the two. I believe this episode title was... The Flash uniform is being dry cleaned. <laughs> so it's not going to be in this episode. Well, Barry's in the episode. He just doesn't do any flashy stuff, you know? No, he runs a little bit. But uh, he doesn't need uh, he doesn't need the costume this week. I guess the costume, like I said, was being dry cleaned. I don't know. That really bugged me. So, Flash I I, so uh, the crux of this, this episode... Is that we reveal from what was the season finale that was actually like the third or fourth episode of this season because of COVID uh, that Barry and Iris created the three other forces, Mm -hmm. four other forces, three of them brought back 
brought back the speed force, but in doing so created the other three forces. Right. So Barry gets the idea, uh, cause this is a tried and true flash TV show plot that never backfires on them. I'm going to travel back in time and prevent this from happening. Right. What could go wrong? What can go wrong? Fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice a season. <laughs> then you're looking at a real big fool. Right. Um, but they get the idea because Wells was there when it happened. They go and get the, I guess they're calling them the timeless Wells. I'm calling them sweatpants Wells. <laughs> Leisure Wells. <laughs> yes. Leisure shoot, suit Wells. Uh, they get him to go with Barry because something with them both being there, it won't upset the timeline or something. He can make a bubble out of time, leisure suit Harry. Sure, sure. And they're going to invent some sort of thing that's going to be able to suck up the necessary tachyon particles to prevent the other three forces from being created. Right. Well, Dion, the still force, uh, finds out about this. And, you know, they're like, hey, man, uh, you know, hey, the speed force is out there. She's going to try to kill you. She already killed uh, the power force, strength force, whatever it is. We want to help you. And he's like, no, I don't believe you. I'm going to destroy this thing that you're working on. Bam. So he destroys that. Right. But they're able to fix it or they had a backup or whatever it was. Who cares? Hey, that chunk can fix things out of the garbage, remember? Important. Oh, that's right. We did establish that his dad would purposely buy high-end items <laughs> and then throw them in the garbage. So he could to look in the a lesson. To guard to dumpster dive. Yes. But while Barry is doing this, Iris feels this is bad. We shouldn't do this. Um, we should go and reason with the speed force because talking to her last time worked so well. Uh, instead, that puts uh iris and uh who else is with iris in this uh allegra and i can't think of her name but she's vibes cisco's girlfriend who has the magic camera that can see the forces uh camilla maybe i don't know because she hasn't been around a lot okay we're gonna come back to camilla because i have a i have a, a glaring issue with her in this issue this this episode right right so they, uh, instead of, they follow a trace because since Iris created these forces or had a hand in creating these forces, she could sense when they're nearby. And because Camilla has the magic camera, they're able to track down what they think is the speed force, but it ends up not being the speed force. It ends up being the freak force. What's his name? Well, you kind of, basically, what? no, what happens is they end up tracking Nora because they're supposed to be like, whenever Iris gets closer, like she glows more through the camera. But then they realize Nora's been everywhere in the city. So where would she go? Uh, like that, that's why she's glowing constantly. So she's like, oh, we have to figure out where, where would Nora go? And I don't know why they picked the house that Nora was killed in because there was some weird thing where they're like, oh, the speed force came to Barry in that house or whatever. So they go there and Psych is there for for reasons I, I don't know that's why i'm like once again i'm like this episode is all over the place well that house that they go to is supposedly like the old west family house right and there's and like they a think vintage... nora's gonna go home 
But as you mentioned, Psych is just there for reasons. Right, and there's like a vintage car outside, which I don't know if it was a vision or like they're yeah. setting something up. Like, real bizarre, the whole thing. Okay, so before Barry sets about on his quest, he talks to Joe, and Joe is siding with Iris, essentially saying, like, hey man, Wally was a jerk, but you know, you always want the best for your kids, and you hope that your kids will learn the lessons and become better, as opposed to, you know, traveling back in time and undoing them because the forces are now their kids. It was a very, this whole episode was a very lame allegory for be a better parent to your kids. Uh, even if it's that, I don't know what it is to tell you the truth. Right. So where I wanted to get to with this episode, the real sticking point for me in this episode was Camilla, Cisco's Mm -hmm. girlfriend. We get the bit at the end where Cisco and Camilla are like, we both need to leave central city. She had stated earlier in the episode that she's going to go to San Francisco for some sort of art gallery, something or other, right? Right. So uh, they then say at the same time, like, oh, we're going to leave the city. So that's how they're writing Cisco off the show, which makes me sad because I like Cisco. Mm-hmm. So the first scene that we have of the two of them together, okay? I don't know if I've never noticed it before. They're at uh, uh, Jitters. Shanks or Jitters or whatever it's called, right? Right. So I don't know if I've ever never noticed it before, but Camilla has a nose ring, right? Okay. And the way the shot is lit, shot (laughs) with something, the nose ring looks like almost like flesh colored. So the whole time they're having this emotional bit talking about like possibly leaving Central City, possibly leaving each other. It looks like she's got like a booger on the side of her nose, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So then, when they're in the scene in the apartment, the way that Camilla is shot almost the entire time, you don't see that side of her face. Almost the entire time. And the few times that you do, the nose ring is, like, more close to her nose as opposed to an actual ring. Does this make any sense? Uh, no, but go on. All right. So there was a lot of inconsistencies with the nose ring in this, this episode. And it was really messing with my head. Every time that she was in a scene, I was like, what's going on with her nose ring in this scene? Whoever the nose ring wrangler on this episode (laughs) was should be fired. Wow. I don't like saying that, but I hope they get fired. They did a terrible job. Uh, Okay. My biggest peeve in it was Barry, like the whole episode, like Barry's going to wipe away these forces. And then he looks up and he sees some colors and he cries. And he's like, yes, these are kind of like my children. I can't do it. And I'm like... I I don't know what's happening here. I mean, this is an all around bad, bad episode. So the only the only person I give any acting chops into this was Dion. Dion has a presence, like when he talks. Like I'm legitimately scared of Dion when he talks. I don't know if it's the varsity jacket or what, but he's got a voice on him, and that 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 haircut is sweet. Man, that is like that is style. So I don't know what it is, but I, I like Dion as a villain, even though it's stupid that he's the still force. Oh God. Yeah, I don't know. Uh this episode was fine, not the best, whatever. Uh speaking of the best TV show ever, <laughs> Legend of Tomorrow. Now I want to preface this by saying uh, I was watching this episode while my family was awake and they were watching it as well. And they had a lot of questions. <laughs> what was it about the best 
reoccurring character DJ Smart funny? I think I could convince my kid to watch this show. Right. Uh, I don't think I can convince April to ever watch this show again. What? This is... Oh, I'm not going to go down that road. I'll have discussions with her when I see her later this week. Right. Uh, so, uh, there is an alien who shows up, because that's the... All right, so hang on. Before we get into the A story, right? Mm-hmm. The C story is uh, Sarah and Gary on the planet, and then a bunch of people come looking for them, and these are the clones of... Uh, Ava, because Ava's a clone. Remember that from like two seasons ago that she's a clone? Yep. So that's them. One of them tries to trick Sarah. Sarah's like, oh, you think I don't know my my Ava? And then they get the idea of whatever. Oh, no, then they end up on, she ends up on another ship at the end. And is it someone that we're supposed to know that she sees? I don't think so. All I, all I know is Gary does, you know, a dime store predator, and then they go see Man Bun. I don't know if it was a ship or a house or a cave or what, but yes. And he said, I've been waiting for you. That's all I know. Right. So this wasn't the best, uh, the, the B story or the C story, I guess. Because the A story is one of the aliens show up on Earth, and he's looking mm-hmm. for the king. And he sees like a magazine cover advertising the television show The Throne. <laughs> Gets funnier uh, every time they say it. But go ahead again with DJ with DJ Desmore Honey or Money or whatever his name is, mm-hmm. who not uh, DJ Marshmallow but DJ S'more because you know we can't get DJ Marshmallow, so we'll just create our own. So uh, he's like, oh, he must be the king. I'm going to go def- to kill him, and then I will be the ruler of this world, right? Mm-hmm. And the uh, alien's name, excuse me, uh, is Lord Noxus, Noxacrillion? Yep. Okay. Because they say that a lot in the ep- episode. They say his full name quite a bit. Right. I just, I would have called him like Lord Knox, but. Well, by the end of the episode, they're chanting Knox at him, Lord Knox, whatever. But right. they make sure to say his full name many a times. So the legends are like, okay, we need to go and stop this. And I guess in our technical B story is the will they, won't they romantic subplot. Who wants more out of this relationship with Zari and John? And I liked it just fine. End up being a little bit predictable, but I liked it just fine. Uh, but the A story, of course, uh, Lord Noxatrillion shows up to kill DJ Desmore Money. Um, however, uh, uh, Barad and, uh, Steel, what's his face? Uh, yep. Nate battle him to try to prevent him from doing that. DJ, DJ Desmore Money thinks that that's Lord Noxatrillion's act. So he hits him with the gold button to automatically move him on to the next round. Right. Sorry reveals herself as the wild card or the mystery person who enters the competition DJ Dismore Money gives them both women empowerment, the same women empowerment song to sing to uh, to play the two of them off of each other. And they, because they ended up convincing Lord Noxatrillion that on this world, battles are not fought with actual combat. They're fought with song and dance. Um, this episode was the crazy, over-the-top nonsense that I love from the show and not a single tiny hat and maybe only a wig to be seen. 
Right, like the whole thing when they Chris Angel up John Constantine. Well, yes, I'm sorry. He's the, yeah, he's the street music, the street magician Johnny C. Yeah, he's not John Constantine. He's Johnny C. Um, I do love the fact you know the punk thing at the beginning. He's he's listening to you know the the punk music, and then they end up having their duet, and he comes out with the guitar, and the power of love wins the day. Joe, so good. So good. I I had a blast watching. I love even the cheesy songs. They're so terrible in this. Like the Juicy Girl or Saucy was singing the Juicy song. I was like, I was hoping we were going to get more terrible acts. That's actually what I wanted. And like the bits with the with the guy who is like the announcer for it and everything. Just like so. He reminds me of like the principal on Community. Uh I can't, or the, whatever. Yeah, he was very principal on Community, very, oh, and it kills me that I can't remember his name right now. Um, but it was more so, like, uh, less your reality show X Factor, um, Masked Singer sort of host, and more of the guy who hosts the things in The Hunger Games. Yes. I, I don't know if you've ever seen The Hunger Games. I haven't, I've seen bits and pieces of them, but I know who you're talking about. Um, but, uh, and I do like the gag of like, they're like, Hey, the, the throne. And I, I'll say it again. It got funnier every time they said it with like, <laughs> oomph. um, it's like back to the throne. And I'm like, all right, this is pretty good. But that was the only thing keeping network TV afloat in 2045. And they were just, they were just running the, the legends were just running network TV through the mud. I think that was for Brandon Routh and Rory, to tell you the truth. Who so the host the- is, a, I'm sorry, the host is very much a Stanley Tucci character. Yes, I couldn't think of his name. Yeah, I couldn't think of his name either. I had to go uh, double check myself. But uh, I liked all the stuff that's going on in the future that wasn't like a huge thing, like how cups are now edible. <laughs> yep. Uh, there was, uh, pr- on the previous season of The Throne, President Dwayne Johnson showed up. Oh, he could still move for a big guy at that age, Joe. And and Nate hoped that uh, John Cena was part of his cabinet or something. But you wouldn't even be able to see him if he was. Oh, oh my goodness. And the other thing that I love about Legends of Tomorrow, I remember they did this last season and they did this again this season, where they just openly reference very specific Marvel cinematic stuff. Oh, yeah. Yes, they do that all the time. They do it all the time and I love it, you know? This time was that they think Sarah's off on some world fighting like Thor Ragnarok, and they're all chanting her name, Sarah, Sarah. And I was like, okay. Right, it's like we're going to name a Marvel Cinematic Film and give you the plot synopsis in our DC (laughs) television show. It's fantastic, it's fantastic. But now I'm really hoping that they do a DJ S'more Money Funko Pop, because that's going to be where the money's at. I want to figure, I, like, get somebody on the blower with this, right? I'll tell you, when when they do the shot of him primping the DJ S'more helmet, and you think they're going to pan back, and you can see what his face looks like, and he's wearing another DJ S'more helmet, I popped. I'm like, that's funny. That's legitimate. That's like changing expectations in the middle of a shot. Oh, I want to get his rookie card, John. That's what I want. Oh, goodness. Where's my Legends of Tomorrow card set? 
Yeah, they, they are really missing out not having merchandise of DJ S'more Money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, again, uh, Flash, okay, Legend of Tomorrow, fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think that's the way the shows are going to be from here on out. And I always like to, um, you know, press this, of course. Next week's episode title? Right. Bay of Squids. Oh, my goodness. Next week's Flash title, Flash gets his suit back from the dry cleaner. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Now, I will say this. At least with um, Legends of Tomorrow, it says that next week's episode is the last one for a bit. Right, which should be the last one that makes Rory like a regular. Because he said his first, I think, six... Where the re- and then after that he's uh, you know not a guest star but like a reoccurring character. Yeah. So. And then Flash runs until the end of the month. No pun intended. Yes. So I think that's it. Yeah, I think that's everything. Yeah, nice full show here. Now it's a uh, time to do the slapdash edit. I'm so proud of most times. <laughs> yep. <laughs> While I go straight to sleep. Right. I. Uh, for Todd, this is Joe again saying thanks for listening to episode 555 of Longbox Heroes, and we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Boop! You're listening to the soon-to-be-named Network. The Lamborghini of Podcast Networks.